0: Welcome to this edition of Pickin' Pod. I am Andrew Posadas. This week alongside me is Thomas Aiello. And since we last spoken, lots of things have happened in the NBA world. We saw the next young crop of NBA, well, college basketball and high school stars get drafted into the NBA. And Aiello, free agency opened up this past weekend, and we have seen a lot of movement Names like Montrez Harrell, the reigning sixth man of the year, staying in L.A., but playing for the defending champion, Los Angeles Lakers. We've seen guys like Danilo Gallinari, somebody very coveted in free agency. He makes the move. He's going to Atlanta on a three-year, $62 million deal. We talk about other teams, the Miami Heat. They re-sign Goran Dragic. The Knicks and the Nets make some moves. The Knicks, they sign Alec Burks. They sign Austin Rivers, nerlin's Noel. The Nets, they re-sign Joe Harris add a veteran piece in Jeff Green. Aiello, there's so much. I, I can't even, I, I didn't even mention Gordon Hayward declining $34 million to only get $30 million for the next four years for Michael Jordan and Charlotte. But again, I digress, Aiello. Let's start off. Who, who or whom are your big winners in the offseason so far?
1: Well, Andrew, I think you put it perfectly. Uh, free agency is always just hectic. It's wreaking havoc in our lives. It's Become a year-round sport with the NBA, and pretty much like the British Empire, the sun will never set on the NBA <laughs> Empire. If I can play on words here, I think my biggest winners here are the two teams that everyone is expecting to come out of their conferences to go to the NBA Finals: the Los Angeles Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, if I had to grade both of them, I think the Lakers get an A, and the Buck Bucks would get an A minus, respectively. And if we want to start with the Lakers, Andrew Montrez Harrell, who they they stole from the Clippers for a Absolutely. two-year contract, $19 million. This is a great signing. <laughs> and for the regular season, it's going to be nice to see him, Davis, assuming they re-sign him because they're, let's not forget, they're still paying Luau Deng's contract. Yes. And that's about $5 million. They also spent money on Caldwell Pope, who got overpaid a little bit, four years, $30 million. They gave Marcus Saul some money today. Uh, they gave Wesley Matthews 3.6 mil. And Dennis Schroeder, who they traded for, makes around 14, 15, somewhere in the mid to late teens range of money. They brought in some way, way better pieces than what they already had. I don't know if they're going to re-sign Davis, but I'm going to assume they are and just pay the luxury. But this Lakers team has reloaded. And then if we look at their Eastern Conference counterpart, the Bucks, they traded away George Hill and Eric Bledsoe, who Bledsoe, by the way, might be the worst playoff performer <laughs> since uh, Kyle Lowry before Kawhi Leonard, okay? Yes. He's that bad. Uh, they traded away a bunch of picks. They re-signed Pat Connaughton to some money. They brought in former New York Nick Bobby Portis, who um, clowned our good friend Mark Berman on Twitter the other day, calling him some sort of reporter. Uh, they brought Torrey Craig for a one-year contract, and they gave DJ Augustine $7 million, Uh, a season for three years, so $21 million total. Milwaukee replenished their bench. They brought in another star player for Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. So you got the three Musketeers, and then Mike Budenholzer is the brilliant coach behind it all. I think Milwaukee is going to wreak havoc in the Eastern Conference this year with the team they've assembled because now you have a legitimate third option on the team in Drew Holiday, right? And he can defend the guards, he can defend certain small forwards, he fits into a team-oriented system, and the Bucks, their whole thing is shooting from the three, but I think that Drew Holiday, he doesn't shoot a fantastic percentage, around maybe 30% flat. I think he's going to find ways to fit into this Bucks team where they need him to, and at this point in his career, you know, he's not the Philadelphia Drew Holiday, where he's dropping 18 and 9, getting three steals, and leading your team to wins. I think he has found the perfect role getting traded to Milwaukee, being that third guy who just kind of fills in where you need him. So I think those are my two biggest winners for this NBA offseason so far.
0: Yeah, and Milwaukee was a few, what, a few hours away from getting Bogdan Bogdanovich, too, which I think we could agree that if they had gotten Bogdanovich, they're right up there with the Lakers for an A-plus grade. But, but I'm with you on the Los Angeles Lakers. Montrez Harrell and he said it in his press and his media availability with the Lakers that if the Clippers wanted to sign him, they would have. He he made the indication that they did not try and sign him. And if you're Montrez and the Lakers are right there saying, "Hey, stay in L.A., come contend for a championship," I think Montrez is going to have. Uh, he had a monster year this past season, but playing with AD and playing with LeBron, that's going to make it's going to be paradise for him. He's going to get so many putbacks alley-oops he'll average a double double easily and i think defensively you know he's shown some flaws there but again alongside ad alongside lebron i think his defense is also going to get better and he's going to make a ferocious duo in that front court with, with ad and you mentioned schroeder they trade for schroeder you get danny green off of your books and that allows you to make other moves you sign marcus all who you're not expecting to give you 25 30 minutes anymore but in a 10 to 15 minute capacity. That's huge to have that experience and that type of championship pedigree that you get from Marcus All, And then you add Wesley Matthews, who essentially is going to replace Danny Green. As good as Danny Green is, Wesley Matthews can be just as compatible and fit that role as the starting two guard for the Lakers. So I would say that LeBron is still good there having a three point shooter out there on the wing in West. But I'd say my other winner, a sleeper to me, the Portland Trailblazers. Now, this is why. With Dame and CJ, the Trailblazers haven't been able to bring in that third star to put around them. It it seems like if they want that star, they have to give up one of their guys in Dame or CJ, which they've shown they don't want to do. So what do you do? You kind of amplify them and build around that backcourt. You trade for Ennis Cantor, who was there before, and kind of gives you a little bit of an offensive pop aside from Nurkic off the bench. And then you make some deals. You trade for Robert Covington who is a great 3-and-D guy. He's going to fit perfectly there with what the Blazers want to do. Then from there, you add Derek Jones Jr., who really showed some good flashes with the Miami Heat in the bubble. You think about that, I think for the Blazers, you have that. You're going to get Zach Collins back from injury. You're going to get Nurkic back, who's going to be fully healthy. You re-sign Carmelo Anthony Aiello. He is back with the Trail Blazers. A lot of us thought that he might go back to the Knicks, but kudos to Portland. They gave him that chance, and they want to keep him around. I think this Portland team really has enough. They're a top-four seed in the West when fully healthy, and I fully expect them to contend and give anybody in the West a shot come playoff time.
1: Well, if we look at the Portland Trailblazers uh, offseason, if you want to talk about the definition of plugging holes and you look in the dictionary, it's the 2020 offseason for the Portland Trailblazers. (laughs) I mean, Robert Covington is a fantastic three-point shooter, he is a fabulous defender, and they have needed a guy like him for a long time, Andrew, a really long time. They had it with Aminu, but he's obviously not that good. And then he got, what, $9, $10 million from the Magic to go play for the eighth seed. They got Kanner back, who is going to fit once again amazingly into their offensive system because he doesn't play defense and neither does the rest of the team, so that doesn't really matter. And Derek Jones Jr., i I'm, glad, I'm I'm glad you brought him up because in Miami, he was really started the season out as just like a dunker and the guy that puts uh, fans in the stands, if you will. And then he as put the, people on
0: posters, yeah.
1: Exactly. And then as the season starts to move along, you kind of see Eric Spolstra, you know, that magic from Pat Riley. And you're seeing, okay, wait a second, this guy's starting to shoot some threes. Mm-hmm. He's playing some tough D, he's running the floor. And he had a little bit of handle with him in the bubble before that tragic injury, which I really hope doesn't kill him because yeah he deserves to have a role on an NBA team and I think it's nice that they picked up a player like him but I think the best part about their offseason is that Hassan Whiteside is gone exactly <laughs> Hassan Whiteside is gone you don't have to pay him the 25 million dollars that he's going to command and the thing with Whiteside is he only shows up in a contract year I, I think that's just it's That's funny. been the knock on him. Once he gets yeah. paid,
0: he just cruise controls until his contract year. And then he has one great year where he averages like 20 and 14, cashes in again, and then just becomes lazy for the next three years.
1: Exactly. And now he's off their books. He was kind of clogging up their paint. It wasn't the best fit for Portland. You know, we saw those lineups in the bubble with him and Nurkic to try and counter the Lakers, which is what you, I guess, do. But it just didn't work, I guess. So... He's finally off of their squad. They're going to be able to pick up that pace. You know, with Canner, I get that he's a slow-footed guy, but you have enough athletes around, of course, McCollum and Lillard who can make up for it. And then I think if we look at Whiteside, let's get to him. I want to quickly touch on him. I think he should go to the Clippers because they just picked up Abaca for literally no money. He got way less than he should have. And you know what? You, You paid Morris... You traded for Kennard. You need another big to compete with the Lakers, right? Why don't you go out and get Whiteside? you be like, here's a two-year contract. It's a second-year option. And if you don't play well, we're going to cut you. So maybe that's the way you get him to play hard and you put him on a team like that. You get the most out of him. Who knows? It could probably be a low-risk, high-reward type of thing if the Clippers don't overpay.
0: Yeah, it seems like the best option would just give him a a show-me type of deal where you get that first year and then a player option. And if you do play well, you can just opt out and go into free agency next summer with some top bidders. Uh, but again, for Portland, that, that was some great moves. I'd also say Atlanta had a good off season. You add Danilo Gallinari, you add another vet in John Rondo who can kind of help in the development and growth of Trey Young. And I think Atlanta is a, a team that's going to be up and coming and should make the playoffs. But that leads me to this transition. Aiello, there are winners. But then that means that there have to be losers this offseason. Who are your biggest losers coming in to free agency?
1: I, I really don't know because there was a lot of teams that really did a lot of strange things. And you can't really fault them given the circumstances. But I mean, one team that I look at, because I'm 100% sure that everyone just let these guys fly under the radar, is the Memphis Grizzlies. They did nothing they gave DeAnthony Melton a four-year contract for $35 million and they signed some John Conchar guy who I have no idea who that (laughs) is. And I get it that they're trying to, you know, save money because if they have to pay the Jacksons or the Morants or the Brandon Clarks, who, by the way, is going to be a player for them, I get it. But at the same time, there was enough players out there that you could have gotten to add to that bench. I mean, they could have, They could have traded for Trevor Ariza if you want to swap out Dylan Brooks. You could have had, I don't know, the 100 zillion role players that the Knicks had because those are guys that can fill some holes on championship teams. But instead, they go out and sign two guys who, I mean, basically don't play. Uh, I don't know. They're one of my losers, but I can't really fault them because they didn't do anything. My other real loser, Andrew, I think you'll find this quite interesting, is the Boston Celtics. Explain. Shout out to our boy Shout out to our boy Jack Roach and Kelly Bright, two of the biggest Celtics fans that I know. and, I'm yeah, sorry, Jack and I gotta, Kelly
0: right now might be sick when they listen to this tomorrow.
1: I'm sorry, but I got I gotta just explain it. Tristan Thompson, I mean, you got him for a solid price, but he's not the player I would have gone after. I mean, yeah, I get it that you need a big man, but he can't compete with an Embiid. He can't run with a DeAndre Jordan or a Bam Adebayo. These athletic, strong players. I personally, if I was Danny Ainge, went after Miles Turner, I would have accepted Hayward's option and just be like, screw it. I can trade him away to Indy, get back Turner, and they wanted to give him McDermott, who they need bench players. And McDermott's not a bad bench player at all. By no means is he a bad bench player. He would have been a great fit for them. And then they gave Jeff Teague some money, which I guess is an upgrade over Brad Wanamaker, but you got to assume that he's going to take a couple of shots away from Brown and Tatum and maybe Kemba. And there's something with the, I should start at the two, not Marcus Smart, stuff like that. Cause he, he still thinks in his own weird way, he might still be a starting guard. And uh, I guess the one saving grace for them was Aaron Neesmith, who was their draft pick at 14, who was a fantastic shooter. I mean, We saw the price of shooting this year with Joe Harris and Davis Davis Cortons, right? Cashed out. And the fact that they they were able to get this guy at the literal end of the lottery in the draft is a good sign. But I mean, the other two are just, it doesn't really push the needle for me personally. I understand where Danny Ainge was thinking, but I don't think that those were the players that I personally would have gone after.
0: Yeah, I got three losers, two teams and then one person individual. I'll go with the two teams first. The Houston Rockets and the Philadelphia 76ers. I'll start with the Sixers. Now, they would be a winner technically because they got rid of Al Horford's contract. We spoke about that here on Pick and Pie. How can (laughs) they get out of those egregiously bad contracts in Al Horford and Tobias Harris? Well, you get Horford's contract off the books. But again, they're still stuck with the same conundrum. We have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And from what it looks like, they are not cohesive enough. They're not the ideal duo to get you where you need to be, which is the conference finals and potentially the NBA finals. So you still have that. You add Seth Curry. Yeah, that's, that's a shooter. That's exactly what you need to put around those guys. But again, Doc Rivers, is he a better coach than Brett Brown? Probably. Probably just – longevity-wise and what he's been able to accomplish, you know, winning a championship. But again, Doc Rivers is at his own fault in the last decade with the Clippers since he's left Boston. So can he really make this Embiid and Ben Simmons thing work out? I just don't know. As long as they're together, I just don't know how Philadelphia is going to contend on a consistent basis with what they have as currently presented. I would also look at the Houston Rockets. You signed Christian Wood, which I thought Detroit was stupid. For letting him <laughs> off you add basically you throw 60 million at Jeremy Grant and you sign Mason Plumlee through a three-year deal so you're basically banking on the Denver Nuggets front court over a 25-year-old emerging young talent who was wildly efficient PR wise in Christian Wood but again the Rockets get him and they give DeMarcus Cousins a chance which is I'm all for but again Ayello, at the end of the day their two best players don't want to be there James Harden has has not publicly, but has been publicly leaked. He wants out. Russell Westbrook also wants out. So it's almost like Tillman Fertitta is saying, Russ, James, look what I just got. I just traded for Trevor Ariza. I just traded for a first-round draft pick. I signed Christian Wood. I was able to bring back DeMarcus Cousins. You never know. Maybe he could be a semblance of what he once was. But again, Russell Westbrook and James Harden still do not want to be there. And until they make moves and trade either one of them or maybe both of them, I still don't see where the Rockets are, especially with these other teams in the West like Phoenix, Portland, getting better, Dallas. They're all strengthening their teams. I don't see where Houston fits in that hierarchy, and we'll talk about that later. And finally, last but certainly not least, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Arguably the GOAT of all time. As far as not players arguably are concerned, Andrew,
1: he is not arguably. I will, I, I,
0: okay. In my opinion, he is. Obviously, there's a huge contingency of LeBron fans who continue to tell me, wait until LeBron's resume is finished. But again, Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time, but really, he is the GOAT opposite wise. He is a Billy GOAT when it comes to drafting and acquiring talent. I, I just don't get it. And, and you know what? Maybe it's. It runs in in the player in the superstar realm because Magic wasn't really a great executive in his time. He quit. We saw that a couple of years ago with the Lakers. Larry Bird as a coach and as an executive with the Pacers did some good things but didn't get a championship. But Michael Jordan hasn't done diddly squat. And then you try and sign Montrezl Harrell. He spurns you and says, no, nah, I'm not even with that. You can throw as much money as you want. I'm staying out in L.A. And then you go ahead and give Gordon Hayward million. He's only made one all-star team. And you're banking on him after, you know, he did bounce back, had a good season with the Celtics, battled some injury in the bubble. But, again, I was shocked. I'm sure you were shocked when we found out that Gordon Hayward declined that $34 million player option. You just don't decline money if you know you got something on the table waiting for you. And I think Gordon Hayward knew that a team like the Hornets might get desperate enough. And Michael Jordan just says, here, here's $120 million for the next four years. You're now our superstar. We're going to put you at LaMelo Ball, P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier. We're just going to try and make all this work. And it feels like just another season where they're below 500 and they're back in the lottery again. And Michael Jordan is back in this position being criticized, rightly so, for being an awful, awful president, of op- being an awful executive in the
1: NBA. Andrew, do you remember when you were a little kid and you would hide under your bed blankets because the monsters would come out under the bed <laughs> and eat you? Yes. That, 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 that's me right now looking at the Hayward contract and the, the incompetence of Michael Jordan as an owner. The greatest player of all time, and it's not close, but we'll get to that another day literally like just the antithesis of an NBA owner. He makes James Dolan look like a genius. Okay. <laughs> that that's, that's really hard to do. Handing Gordon Hayward the money. Look, okay. I get it because they are just, all they've got down there is Christian McCaffrey, uh, Gumbo and Robbie Anderson. And then they had Kemba, yeah. but he's like, nah, screw this. I'm going to, to beantown.
0: They didn't pay Kemba. They let him walk. They let they him walk. Gordon yeah, I Hayward. know. Uh, gar- and they guaranteed all $120 million. It's, it's crazy. I,
1: I thought it was a little irrational, a little bit of uh, you, we need to, like, stay relevant because I'm Michael Jordan and buy my sneakers kind of thing. But uh, I, I, just, I just did not like it at all. I mean, kudos to Hayward. He is some kind of mastermind getting that money. I don't know what he and his agent said in, a, in the meeting. <laughs> But kudos to the both of them for getting that. But holy crap. I, if, you know what, Charlotte, if you really want to push for the 8th seed, Julius Randle is available for trade from the Knicks. So if you want him, we'll give him to you. Just give us Terry Rozier. We're fine with that. You can have Julius Randall spinning into walls. I, I don't even want to. The Hornets just – oh, God. Andrew, it's terrible. Because they were really good in the 90s, the 2000s. They yes. had Larry Johnson, Glenn Rice, one of the greatest shooting forwards ever. And, and then later Mickey on, they get Lonzo Baron Moore. Davis. Yeah, yeah exactly. Baron Davis. And then they had that one, one run with Kemba and Al Jefferson. And now... And uh, Gerald Wallace, too. And yeah. Gerald Wallace. And they've disintegrated to, to thin air at this point. I don't know, yeah. I don't know what they're thinking here, but I, I, I guess it's just we need to put people in the stands. I, don't, I, I can't offer an explanation beyond that, really.
0: <laughs> I would, no, I, I'm just as dumbfounded. And, and honestly, I'd rather remember MJ for having that Chicago Bulls jersey, that 23 on his back, winning six championships because of the Wizards years, those two years with the Wizards, and what he's done with Charlotte have just been nothing short of a disappointment. And Sam Henke is out there somewhere like, I can't get a job. I helped the Sixers trust the process and get Joel Embiid, get Ben Simmons. I can't get a job. But yet Michael Jordan's still out there giving huge checks to people who may not be able to cash them on the court. Gordon Hayward's <laughs> going to cash those checks off the court but on the court it just doesn't seem like Charlotte's going anywhere but again I digress let's get away from the broad topic of free agency in the entire NBA world Aiello let's dig in a little bit deeper to our local teams that is the New York Knickerbockers and the Brooklyn Nets just right across the way in Brooklyn Aiello with both teams, with their moves, what did you like? What didn't you like from what the Knicks and the Nets both did in this offseason?
1: Well, I would like to start with the Brooklyn Nets because I was uh, actually talking with my friend who's a Nets fan in our group chat, and the rest of us are Knicks fans, and then we have the one kid who's a Wizards fan. So go figure. And I was talking to him about, you know, Joe Harris, eighteen million a year over four years, and a total of seventy-five million dollars. I get it that he shoots over 40% from three. I really do. But Jordan Clarkson got slightly more. And I think Clarkson, if you want to break it down, might be slightly better than Harris just because he can dribble. He's a slightly better defender. I mean, they're not good defenders at all. But if you're going to give it to one of them, I give it to him. And and he can just move off the ball more. And Harris is kind of a set shooting guy. He's not a great uh, driver to the rim. He's not exactly explosive. But the 42% from three and beyond, I mean, that's what you get in the NBA. That's the price of shooting nowadays. And I told my friend, because he said, I can't believe we're going to keep the four guys we drafted, Joe Harris, and still be able to pay people. I said, well, how are you going to pay Jared Allen? Because Harris pretty much eats up the salary. Not to mention, you got the other two guys. And then you're still paying Levert and Dinwiddie. And they're going to probably want some money. So he said, oh, we'll just trade. Uh, DeAndre Jordan. I I don't know who wants DeAndre Jordan at this point. He was pretty bad when he showed up to the Knicks. He was even worse when he signed with the Nets. His numbers just completely fell off. I thought it was a... It made sense why they kept Harris for that amount of money. I'm kind of waving the red flag here a little bit. But they added Jeff Green on a minimum contract who's a nice player. They traded away their 19th pick for Landry Shamit, who's a nice shooting piece for them to have. I think that the biggest question mark for the Nets going into this year is Kevin Durant going to stay healthy is Kyrie Irving going to stay sane and healthy and can Steve Nash handle this illustrious collection of of talent I think those are the biggest questions for them going into their season and if they can answer two of them that being KD stays healthy and Nash can coach contender, con- title contender at at bare minimum. Yeah, bare minimum. And as far as the Knicks go, I gave them a, I gave them a B for their offseason. I gave the Nets a gentleman C. I gave the Knicks a B. Um, they didn't go out there and spend crazy money on a Jokic Noah who we can talk hours about. They didn't go out there and trade talk about
0: egregious contracts.
1: Oh god. They're still paying him, Andrew. Like He's getting money for the next two years.
0: That's what happens when you stretch. You got no choice. That His name's going to be on the books. And I know Dolan and everyone, Perry, they're sick to see it.
1: Yeah, talk about Hell's Kitchen living up to its namesake. (laughs) But the Knicks, Leon Rose might be the emperor of Star Wars. This guy is just a sleuth. He is clever. He's using some kind of mind trick, the Jedi mind trick on people. Because Alec Burks, if this was a normal Knicks regime, would have gotten like $15 million a season. But yes. Leon gave him a one-year contract for $6 million. Think about that, Andrew. That's, I think, a seventh or eighth of the price that they would have had to pay to get Gordon Hayward on the roster. Exactly. Think about it. Yeah. And they, re- they gave Alfred Payton some money, which there's a lot of mixed feelings about that because he's kind of like a Rondo. But in all in all, if you look at it, Alfred Payton wasn't that bad. 10 no. points, 7-8 eight, eight assists. Yeah, he shoots 20% from three. That's bad. But he fills in your other gaps. They drafted Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, Obi-Toppin, excuse me. (laughs) They drafted Emmanuel quickly. They signed Miles Powell. They traded for like 600 second round picks. They brought in Omari Spellman. They signed Nerland's Noel, an actual backup to Mitchell Robinson. And then this was the most curious one that I had, was signing Austin Rivers to a three-year contract The first year is completely guaranteed. And then the last two are non-guaranteed. I originally thought it was going to be a one-year deal. I was watching my Twitter feed because, and you follow me. So, you know, I was all over the place during free agency. I thought it was a one-year deal. And then when it was a three-year contract, I was like kind of freaking out. But then I dove into a little bit and I saw, okay, the last two years are non-guaranteed. I'm like, okay, this is a 2021, we're going to sign Whoever. the biggest free yeah. agent
0: on the market. Exactly. That's what
1: I think they're doing. And I think that these contracts that they handed out to these players at the prices they got and looking at everyone's production from last year, I'm, I'm honestly, as a Knicks fan, I am happy to see this team tank. I'm not content with watching Bobby Portis and, and Taj Gibson tank. I, I'd rather see this because now it's a majority young player team. So now you can build the right way. You have a chance to go out and sign some guys. You've got another draft pick coming up, who I'm sure, they're going to try and get Cade Cunningham because they'll judging from what Leon Rose has done so far, yeah, they'll try and work something out. So not a horrible offseason. This is one of the more intellectual ones I've seen from these guys in a long time. There was uh, the Marberry trade. Well, that wasn't really in the offseason, but still a nonsensical move. If I can make up a word. There was the mellow trade, then uh, 2016, last season, and then you had the 2018 offseason, and then before that was Michael Beasley. So kudos to the Knicks for putting together a not halfway horrible offseason.
0: Yeah, I would say for both the Nets and Knicks, they were much more passive and conservative than I think a lot of fans thought they'd be coming into the offseason. Just starting with the Nets, everybody was talking about can they get James Harden? Can it be a possibility? Do we have to give away Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, uh, three or four first-round picks, mortgage the future, to get that third star? And, and being able to, to sit in with uh, GM Sean Marks and his media availability earlier in the week, he conveyed that while they did want to make some moves, and, and they did, signing Jeff Green and, and making re-signing Joe Harris a priority, because right now, as you know, in, in this in this what current NBA world shooters are at a premium. So you have to give them the money, especially someone like Joe Harris, who, who really is one of the best sharpshooters in the league, without a doubt, statistically. So for the Nets, the fact that everyone's talking about, are they going to mortgage their future? Sean Marks made it known. We're not willing to do that because we feel like we have enough here. And we still haven't seen KD and Kyrie together play and see how cohesive this team is around those two superstars. That's the million dollar question for Sean Marks. But again, with that 19th pick, you flip that to Landry Schammett, who while he was inconsistent in the bubble has proven that, hey, he's a young guy who's been in playoff atmospheres before with the Sixers. And then moving over to the Clippers the last couple of years, a three and D guy spaces the floor for Kyrie and KD and a guy who's said in his media availability, that he's played over the summer with KD and Kyrie, so already has that familiarity with them and feels ready to step in and be a cog. So for the Nets, I think, and I told you this in our last pick and pod, I didn't see any reason to trade anybody. You have the depth. You have pieces at every at all five positions. I think you got to stand pat and see what you have and see what this is this year. And as far as the Knicks go, you get Obi topping at eight. A lot of people thought he was a top five pick. He drops to your laps. A lot of people thought that the Knicks were going to have to trade up to get into the top five to get him. He drops at eight. You make a trade to get up to 25, and a lot of people think Emmanuel Quickly has lottery-level talent, and John Calipari has spoken so glowingly about him, and he says that the Knicks really have a steal in Quickly. So you get two lottery-level talents in Toppin' and Quickly. And then, as you mentioned, some of these contracts, Alfred Payton, really just a one-year deal, with some incentives there, not all guaranteed. Austin Rivers is the same way. Just three years, but the last two years, non-guaranteed. You signed Nerlens Noel to a one-year deal. Alec Burks to a one-year deal. Uh, again, as I mentioned, shooters at a premium. Joe Harris getting that amount of money. Alec Burks, who really was solid from beyond the arc, just six years. So I think, as you mentioned, Leon Rose really a shrewd operator. Not going all in, because if he would have gave Jeremy Grant, that 60 million, Aiello, you might have lost it. You might have been oh. done with oh. the Knicks if you had oh, seen gosh. that three million, six, three year 60 million. And don't get me started no, the Knicks had no, given no. them given Gordon Hayward 120 big ones no, over don't. four years. So that's what we were expecting right. So and Aiello right now, you can't see the zoom, but he is absolutely no. terrified no. at the thought of paying Jeremy Grant no. and Gordon Hayward 180 million dollars combined. But again, Leon Rose didn't do that. that, See, that's the PTSD, as you mentioned, that Knicks fans have. But Leon Rose didn't do that. He filled in some necessary roles. Obviously, the point guard position is still up in the air. You mentioned Terry Rozier as a potential trade if Charlotte wants. I mean, they have a bunch of guards there after drafting LaMelo Ball. But besides point guard, I think they were able to fill some roles. And I think Leon Rose is really building – for either next year's offseason when Giannis is there, or two years from now, just at least leaving the door open to have enough cap space where they're flexible and they can get a guy. But I like what they're building right now. Leon Rose is taking it slow. He's not going crazy with his moves, making it simple, making it concise. And I think the Knicks right now, as you mentioned, intellectual. I think they have the right man at the helm, somebody who understands how to build something in Leon Rose. And I think for both the Nets and Knicks, if you're a fan of either team, you have to be optimistic from what you've seen from both sides.
1: I mean, it's, it's great to see that New York basketball might make a comeback. It's, <laughs> how long has it been, Andrew? I mean, when was the last time that New York reigned supreme in really anything? I mean, the last thing was the 09 championship of the and Yankees. And
0: then the Rangers went to the Stanley Cup that one year they lost to the Los Angeles Kings. But, exactly. Yeah. So
1: it's been a long time since New York has reigned supreme. Leon Rose and Sean Marks would certainly be two guys I didn't think of, but they've come in. Marks, we've, know he, we've known that him doing a really good job with the Nets. And Leon Rose, so far, is doing pretty well. I think where we give Leon some credit here, if you look at their track record, when I'll give you a little story. When Allen Iverson was in the twilight of his career, right? And Denver said, we're not going to extend your contract. Allen Iverson went to the Memphis Grizzlies. And guess who his agent was? Leon Rose. Leon Rose. Leon Rose Rose got this guy, one of the biggest overpays I've ever seen from (laughs) him to get a 30, what, five year old Allen Iverson on a horrible Memphis team where he initially played like two, maybe three games coming off the bench. And I think that his cleverness and his shrewd ability to just manipulate your thought process and just, he knows what he's saying. He's hired Walt Perrin, who was, who's the assistant GM. He brought him over from Utah who has nothing but great reviews on Yelp. I'm sure uh, they brought in worldwide West, who is the guy that's gotten Calipari, all of his kids. You can date him back to the UMass days with Marcus Camby. Bet you didn't know. I was going to bring that name up. <laughs> and then you look at Tom Thibodeau, who was, one of the more, I guess, drill sergeanty guys in yeah, the Old-school, Old, school, old school. Testament
0: type of coach. Yeah.
1: You bring him in, and then you bring in a Kenny Payne, a Mike Woodson. So what Leon Rose has done is drain the swamp, right, of Steve Mills and that whole Regime, debacle, yeah. right? He has brought in some very well-respected, decent people who – not only are model citizens from what I've seen so far, but are experienced and knowledgeable minds of the sport of basketball. And that's something that they haven't had since probably Pat Riley. If you want to say Jeff Van Gundy, I, I can go there, but they haven't had that in 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, New York Knicks fans have a team that, yeah, it might not be very good, but it's worth something to cheer for. And it, you're exci- it's exciting. R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson. People get to make Star Wars memes now. You have an excuse to do that. <laughs> There's um, my friends call Mitchell Robinson Thanos. Uh, R.J. <laughs> Barrett, he, on basketball reference, he's known as Ducky, which I don't know why that's his nickname. So you, you get to have some fun now. It's like something fun and exciting to cheer about. And who knows, maybe in two years, the Knicks will save Spike Lee from a heart attack and they'll finally start winning games, and he'll make another movie about the, the, kid, the kid from Brooklyn, Ob- Obadiah Toppin, playground legend. He'll do all this, all this crazy stuff starring Denzel Washington. Uh, uh, his Michael B. C. Jordan's in
0: there. Some, he's going to get all the big names. Ray
1: Allen's going to make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> no, but again,
0: I would say you're right because both teams are obviously in different positions. The Nets, they're looking to contend and get to the NBA Finals even though – KD, Kyrie, and everyone hasn't formally played a meaningful basketball game together. And for the Knicks, they're just looking to build something with this young core and bringing in a veteran coach and Thibodeau, a veteran staff, guys who know how to develop players and taking it, you know, one season at a time. So I think both teams really are in great positions to kind of meet or exceed their expectations for the Knicks. It's only 62 games. So you're talking about 10 Seven, 72, games. Andrew. 72. 72, excuse me. I'm sorry. 82 <laughs> minus 10. That's, I, I don't know if I can leave Fordham yet. But again, <laughs> a 72 game season. So 10 less games for the Knicks to worry about. And the East, after maybe the fifth seed, you're talking from six to eight. That's going to be a revolving door, ILO. So if the Knicks kind of get hot and put together maybe a good season, a good season of and a half worth of basketball, they could find themselves in that kind of nine to 11 range where there are a few games out. And I think if you're Leon Rose, you're, you're not going to take, you're going to go all in and see if you can maximize the potential of this team to see where they can go moving forward. Because obviously he's left himself that ability to make changes in the next offseason and moving forward if need be. But again, I like what both New York teams are doing and you have to be optimistic that both teams are going to take a step in the right direction this season.
1: I totally agree. Andrew, I think where we need to hold the horses is the Knicks and the P word playoffs. We can't say that yet. I think if you just put a competitive product on the floor, given, you know, if they win, let's say 25, 28 games, right? Last year they won 21 games watching just about every game they played. They just looked like zombies in most of the games. And it was the, the one-year veterans winning the games. I didn't really see the ro- young guys take care of it except for that late game against the Rockets where Barrett goes off of the wrong leg and hits a crazy left-handed layup yeah. over James Harden. I think this time around, you look at the age, uh, age ratio between young guys and, and old heads. And even the old heads aren't even that old. Alec Burks is, what, 30 years old, 29 New Orleans and Wells, 26. I think the oldest active player on the roster is between those guys, Austin Rivers and Alfred Payton. So you now have a balance of young players who are definitely going to get some chances. We didn't even talk about Miles Powell, who was we going didn't. to... I mean, and they stole him. They I stole I just, him. I
0: don't, I don't know how anybody doesn't draft the best offensive player in college. It baffles me. And I think he can kind of take that Alonzo Trier route where he just balls out and has a huge chip on his shoulder. And I promise you, the Knicks won't let him get away like they let Alonjo Trier get away.
1: Well, I think with Miles Powell, he's just a much more well-rounded player. Yeah, You know, there's questions about, is he going to be a one or a two? Because he shoots a lot for a one, but he's not big enough to play the two. At this point in the NBA and in basketball evolution, it doesn't really matter what you play because it's just, it's a positionless game. So I think personally, if it were up to me, I would move him in the manual quickly to the two, unless you're really desperate for point guards, then you can throw one of them back at the one, but he is going to be a a really nice bench piece. If the Knicks keep him or if they just let him go for some crazy reason, whoever picks him up is going to relish his bench scoring. He was the leading scorer. I think last year in college, right? With 23 points a game. He was was the number one scorer in college basketball. There's questions about his handle and the defense, but I think you can work around it, especially in a league that's so three-point oriented that his eyes just light up like a child in a candy store, right? It's a three-point game at this point. Miles Powell, just there's no one better who fits the bill than him, in my opinion. And if you want to argue Emmanuel quickly, looking at his tape, this Knicks team is going to be chucking those threes, Andrew. They're going to be running running the floor. It's going to be run and gun, and it's crazy because it's coached. Thibodeau, we, we don't think of Coach to have a, a
0: running. It's going to be interesting to see that dynamic. But what, we, what I do know is I think defensively, they'll be much more solid and much smarter because, as you know, Coach Tibbs will run you to the ground in practice if you don't get the defensive game plan right. And on Miles Powell, him and Obi Toppin are very, very close friends. So I think that also helps given that chemistry that I think if Miles Powell can make an impact alongside Obi Toppin – You might have yourself right there, a nice little duo. I'm not saying Miles Powell can be an all-star. I mean, that's best-case scenario. Best-case scenario is that he's a good player, someone who can give you good rotational minutes, and someone who could start if need be. But I think him, Obi Top and Emmanuel quickly, you add these other young pieces you still have in R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, I think the core is there. And if there's going to be anybody who can kind of get the best out of those players on both ends of the floor – It's going to be Coach Tibbs and with guys like Mike Woodson on the bench as well. I think that'll help in their development. But Ayello, before we get out of here, after this free agency, and it's not officially done, but obviously a lot of moving parts already, some big names already signed. I I want to give you one final question from each conference as it stands. Let's start in the Eastern Conference with, and you mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks. You think they've had the best offseason out of any team in the East. So my question for you would be if the Bucs can't get it done this year as assembled, is Giannis gone for good?
1: Well, I think it's a matter of what they put around him and it's going to take a little bit of talking and a little bit of maneuvering to give him what he wants. I wouldn't say he's gone for good because he doesn't really want to team up with people. And I know that rumors are, a lot of people are susceptible to that nowadays, but I wouldn't necessarily believe everything that you read and hear. Because if you look back at his track record, he's all, oh, I'm not going to play with anybody. I'm not going to play with anybody. If people want to come and play with me, they come to me. I'm not going to them. So who knows? Maybe there's a chance he stays. But if this season goes well off, not according to plan, they lose in the first round to like the Pacers, who could be the seventh seed for all we know yeah, Giannis would be gone. But if they make a run of the finals and they come up a fingernail short of winning, I'll bet you he won't won't leave. I don't think that if that's the case, he wouldn't leave. But in the other one I just said, yeah, there would be a good chance I think he gets the hell out of there and goes (laughs) from Cream City to the Big Apple.
0: I would say this, December 22nd is obviously the tip-off for the season. But I think the most important day for the Bucs is the day before, December 21st. That is the deadline for Giannis to sign that Supermax. And honestly, to me, in my opinion, if Giannis really wanted to stay, he would have signed that after finding out about Drew Holiday and when there were potential talks to bring in Bogdanovich. But even without Bogdanovich, you bring in Drew Holiday, and I think if Giannis was all in, yellow, I'd have to think he would have signed the, the Supermax already. Maybe he's waiting until the 21st and just buying some time. But if that deadline comes and goes and he doesn't put pen to paper, I think that absolutely puts Milwaukee on the clock. And I'm not guaranteeing that even if they make the finals and lose there to the Lakers or somebody else in the West, that because of getting to his first NBA finals with Milwaukee, that Giannis is automatically going to say, oh, I'm going to stick around. I don't think so. I think it's going to have to take maybe a six or seven game series where they're right there or winning it for Giannis to say, you know what? I can hold the mantle as the superstar here in Milwaukee moving forward. Because after a while, eight, 10 years, you're talking about a decade's worth of not getting to a finals or not even competing legitimately for a championship, getting bounced out of the second round, out of the conference finals when they were up 2-0 against Toronto. So that wanes on a superstar. So I have to think for Giannis, he wants to get to the NBA finals and he wants to have a damn good shot at winning it. And if he doesn't, maybe he goes to New York. There's some people saying that he might want to go to the West Coast and go to L.A. So I think those are options. And for the Bucks, if that deadline passes in December 21st and Giannis doesn't fax a signed contract, they're on the clock for the next four or five months. And I think that's going to be the biggest story in the Eastern Conference. I mentioned L.A., so I want to move over to the Western Conference, Aiello. We spoke glowingly about what the Los Angeles Lakers did. But again, this Western Conference is even stronger than it was last year. In your opinion, who do you think, or which teams do you think really can give the Lakers a fighting shot come next year playoff time?
1: I mean, it, I, I'm like, you know what I'm gonna say. It's the Lakers, <laughs> and I, I, as the Jordan fan I am, it pains me to say it, but LeBron's getting his fifth ring, and then we have to start having that discussion. But I will say this: if the Dallas Mavericks get a Christoph Porzingis back healthy, you look at Josh Richardson. Willie Cauley-Stein's back. Yes. The draft picks they have, and Dorian Finney-Smith and Rick Carlisle. Oh, baby, it's Luca time. Oh, baby, it's Luka time. <laughs> oh, baby, it's Luka time. I cannot wait for him to start running shop. He has, he is going to be the Jeff Bezos of the NBA one day. This kid is going to have an empire to be reckoned with. And I very highly suggest anyone and everyone stays out of his way. So. It's the Lakers to lose, but if any team is going to make the challenge, I'm putting my money on Dallas.
0: 72-game season should be fun, yellow. and I, we both cannot wait for December 22nd to get here.
1: I can't wait for December 11th because that's when the preseason starts. Oh, and I finally have an yep. excuse to stop <laughs> yelling at Tom Brady and his damn noodle arm. I have an excuse <laughs> to stop it and screaming at my Packers for being morons. So I'm so excited that basketball is coming back. I can. Happily scream at the Knicks, but in a good way.
0: And I'm no, Rage right. at them.
1: I'm going you're to have like and you get to yell at the Spurs again. <laughs> so both of our teams stink, but you know what? Just the joy that the NBA brings and it's coming back on Christmas of all the days. I, I don't think of I can't think of a better time for them to start. And
0: no, you're you're right. I, I gotta be excited. Not even December eleventh, December first, when training camps officially open oh, and NBA yeah. TV will be going through all the teams' previews and we'll be getting an in-depth look at all the contenders and what they're doing in practice. December 1st, that start of the month coming into December 22nd should be a very good time. Uh, You mentioned the Spurs, but again, we've won enough where I think we can take a few losing seasons. I think my heart will take it, especially since I'm a New Yorker, and I still root for the Knicks and the Nets. So there's something there for me on the back burner. I can root for our New York teams. I got high expectations for both of them to do good things and take steps in the right direction. But that will do it for this edition of Pick and Pod for Thomas Aiello, I am Andrew Posada saying we'll see you in a few weeks when the season finally officially goes underway. Training camp's December 1st. The season tips off December 22nd. We will be back with another installment of Pick and Pod very, very soon. Enjoy the rest of your week. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUB Sports. Everyone enjoy your Thanksgiving. <laughs>